What is up, Alex City, and welcome back to the Spokecast, and Happy New Year. It's me, Brennan, and today I have another special episode for you. I am going to be featuring the very first podcast I ever helped produce, Super 90s Brothers. Um, it's not the very first episode of the show, it's the latest episode. On the episode, we cover one of my favorite movies of all time, Kingpin. And I just wanted to give you a little taste of what that podcast is all about. It's me and my friend, Adam Pitzler. We wax nostalgic about 90s movies, video games, TV shows. And we've been doing this podcast since 2017. So almost six years. Actually, I think we released our very first episode in January of 2017, actually. So it's it's been going on for a really long time. It's gone through so many different phases of sound quality. When we first started recording that podcast, we were doing it on our telephones, like, and we didn't have mics or anything. And it wasn't until I started Spocast with Nate and Andrea that the sound quality even started getting any better. But it's what started my love for wanting to produce podcasts. Like I, I was making this podcast. I was learning all the ins and outs of editing and creating content and making a good podcast. And it all started here with Super Nineties Brothers. We've released over, I believe, at least over 60 episodes, maybe if not more. And this year in 2023 is the year we've decided we're going to get serious about it. We're going to be releasing podcasts at least every other week. And I'm I'm excited for the new year and what it's going to bring for Super 90s Brothers. We have some fun events in the works later this year that we're going to be a part of. This is probably my most technically put together podcast. There's drops from the movies. There's reoccurring segments. It's just a lot of fun. But, you know, me and Adam have been doing this for a while and we have a really good banter and and Adam is just amazing at making this podcast fun. He puts together all the notes for the show and each episode is just it's a blast. So enjoy this episode of Kingpin that I do with Adam that's going to come up in about five minutes. But before then, I got a couple of announcements to make. Um, First of all, I have to thank all of my amazing Patreon supporters, the Spocastonites. And thank you, thank you, thank you to every one of you who have continued to be supporting me through the Patreon. And you guys are just, you're amazing. And I I love each and every one of you. Thank you for your continued support. And if you're interested in supporting Spocast monetarily, please consider joining the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com backslash Spocast. And you can become a Patreon at any uh, level of $5, $15, $25, and $50. So here are all my amazing Patreon supporters. Elizabeth and Bill Pointer, Nick Spanger, Alex Leah, Valerie Ossier, Pia Hollenberg, Luke Baumgarten, Amber Sparks, Zach Hawkins, Judy Pointer, Sarah Thorpe, Briscoe, 
Pamela Smith, Joe Van Voorhis, Tyler Poole, Gina Campbell, Lee Wick, Abby Pointer, Amanda Kerr, and Elizabeth Geyer. Thank you all so much for your support. And uh, please, like I said, if you're interested in supporting Spokecast, get on Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash Spokecast to become a Spokastonite. And then finally, my last announcement of the podcast before we get into Super 90s Brothers, the good growth experience with my friends, Jinx Universe, Exact Change, Islo Matisse, and DJ Donuts. This show is happening on January 6th at 8 p.m. at Lucky You Lounge. It's a project that me and Jinx started about four months ago, and now it's happening. It's happening in a day, literally. Please, if you are wanting to see amazing local music, hip-hop, rap, come tomorrow night and party with us. It's going to be so much fun. I, I just can't say enough about how how excited I am for this show to happen. And being able to produce it with these guys has just been uh, a joy. And it's been amazing. It's been, I use that word so much amazing, but it's truly, it's been, it's been a, f- a fun adventure and it's really coming together. We got a, a feature in the Inlander talking all about the show. And, you know, the purpose of the show was to, you know, come together and it is a collaborative event. There are other things that are going to be happening during the show that you try to make it more immersive, just trying to make it more of an experience. Also, I'm going to be emceeing the entire event. So I'll be coming in at the beginning, in the middle, and before uh, Jinx comes on and hyping them up and telling some jokes maybe. And I, it's something I've never really done before, but I'm excited for the challenge. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be an experience for sure. So Tomorrow night, Lucky You Lounge, The Good Growth Experience with Jinx Universe, Exact Change, Isla Matisse, DJ Donuts. Come on down, say hi. My birthday is the next day on January 7th, so it's going to be a party, and I can't wait to see everyone out there. And lastly, if you're listening to this right now, I have two tickets for you. Send me a DM on spokast.co on Instagram, and... I'll give you two tickets to the Good Growth Show, and I'll buy you your first round of drinks. How about that? To spice up the incentive a little bit. So um, I hope to see you all there. That is tomorrow night, January 6th at Lucky You Lounge, 8 p.m. Jinx Universe, Exact Change, Isla Matisse, DJ Donuts, Jazz Boyd is doing set design. Bobby from City Chapters is helping us with apparel. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait to see you all there. I know you're not here to, to hear me plug everything, but uh, I know you're here to listen to a podcast. Like I mentioned, this podcast is the very first podcast I ever helped produce. It's the first podcast I ever helped create, and it, is, it means a lot to me. It's it's the podcast that helped start what you see now today at Spokast. It's, if I hadn't have found success with Super 90s Brothers six years ago, I don't know if I would be doing what I'm doing today without starting this podcast with my friend Adam Pitchler. Uh, I got to say thank you so much, Adam, for doing this with me and sticking out six years of making this podcast. And I think this is a year where we break through and we take it to the next level. So um, here is Super 90s Brothers with myself, Adam Pitzler, featuring the movie Kingpin. I hope you guys enjoy it. Peace. It's the Super 90s Brothers!
Welcome to the Super 90s Brothers, where we do hazy memory riffs on the most pin-rattling decade ever. I'm your host, Brendan Pointer. Along with me is my co-host, Adam J. Pitzler, and today we're talking about Kingpin. Ow! Oh my goodness. I say this every... I've been waiting for this one. I would say this every week. I've been waiting for this one. This is one of my favorite Fairly Brothers movies of all time. Um, yes, it is. Brennan loves this movie and has been asking to do this movie for quite some time. I I used to go bowling at Lilac Lanes here in Spokane, and me and my friends would always do Ernie McCracken's like how he bowls, where he like puts one hand out and like goes really slow. It's impossible to do. Um, I mean, it least, seems really hard. But yeah, <laughs> bowling's bowling's meant to fuck around with your friends. Yes, exactly. But it's the winter. It's a week past Christmas. How was your Christmas? It was good. My in-laws drove a train for two hours down to come see me, and there was all kinds of snow delays. And at one point in Portland, they just stopped to switch crews, and it took like two and a half hours, like for some reason. Oh, my goodness. It just sounds like a nightmare. But they made it, and we loved having them, and it was a great time. What about you? It was a nice Christmas. It's The kids are growing up, and they're getting to that age where they're – you know, they know what's going I mean, they, they've known what's going on for a couple of, for a long time. My kids are seven, but uh, they just had a great time. I bought Abby, Abby, <clears throat> I bought Ivy a Cabbage Patch doll from Santa. Sorry, Ivy, if you're listening to this someday, like that wasn't from Santa, it was from me. And it, I didn't, we did not know if she'd like it. She didn't ask for it, but she carries that doll around with her everywhere. So it was, it's very nice to buy your kids a present. And then they're just like, they just love it so much smitten yes very smitten my, my sister had a cabbage patch doll what was her name i don't remember um, <laughs> i want to say it was tony actually with an eye uh yeah must have been <laughs> did they have boy cabbage patch dolls they might have i don't i never had one surprisingly i didn't either but i remember my <laughs> sister had one. anyway well that's that's nice i'm glad that you got ivy something really cool mm. I got my sister, my favorite gift that I gave this year was I gave my sister like a like an exact replica of the Hellraiser box puzzle that, that activates oh. the Cenobites. I don't even know what you're talking about, but that sounds cool. I've never seen Hellraiser. From Hellraiser, there's this box, and it's like a little puzzle, and if you do it wrong, little blades come out and stab the people oh. in the hands. Obviously, that doesn't happen, but you, right. there, it, you have to solve the puzzle box to like open the demon world, and when you do... The Cenobites, which are those really fucked up looking demons, come and like eat your boyfriend. Wow. Yeah. So that's like that. So Carissa's oh. been working on that. So she's been working on getting the her, demons. Getting my brother in law eating. Yeah, eating. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Huh. Um, and then I got my nephews the PlayStation Network for a year so we can play PlayStation games together because we all have PS5s now. Oh, that's living in the, living the high life with the PS5s. Um, Humble brag. <laughs> I still don't have one. <laughs> um, I well, really want to. I really want to get one, but I just like. I I know I'll just play it all the time, and it will I mean I won't have time to do that. I won't have time to play. I play my Switch. I play my Switch. I play it for like thirty minutes a day when I have time, and that's about it. Okay. Well, if you guys like to play with your Switch, or <laughs> if you like Super Nineties Brothers, you can give us those awesome five star reviews on Apple iTunes Music that we're always begging for. If you want to reach out to us, we would love it. We would like worship you, your Adonis bodies. Email us, super90sbrothers at gmail.com, all spelled out. 
at Super 90s Brothers on Twitter. Brennan is at Spocast Pods. You can check out my shit, adampitzler.com. And uh, yeah, what are we talking about today, Brennan? We're talking we're talking about something that happened in the summer of 1996. So we were about 12 years old. Yeah. Let me let me travel get you all to travel back in time for a moment. Picture yourself. It's the summer of 96. The Chicago Bulls just defeated my beloved Seattle Supersonics to win their fourth NBA title. The 1996 Summer Olympics debuts in Atlanta, and the radio starts playing. That was the number eight song in the U.S. at the time, Come On Ride the Train by the Quad City DJs. Ow! So, Brennan, <laughs> have you ever been part of a train? <laughs> no, but it sounds like your in-laws have. <laughs> <laughs> I've never ridden a train. I've never been a part of a train um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, you went to college for a year. I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, the falls. There wasn't much trains going on there, and if they were, I didn't want to be a part of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Those were the uh, economy seat trains. We'll call them. Um, so um, this is a this is a very '90s song. Yes, um, definitely very memorable. I certainly remember the song. The you remember the song? Oh my God! I sang this. I when this when I looked at the notes when I was doing the prep for the show, I was like, I just sang this song to Abby like a month ago. You like serenaded her? No, I was just like like, a, like did, a violin. So in the chorus, they go, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Like it's like they're doing the little engine that could, you know, like. And oh, I missed that. Yeah, like you, there's little notes in there, like, and uh, that you can, they're saying stuff when they're whispering. And uh, I, for what I used to listen to this, I had this album, listened to it all the time. I remember the summer of 1996 very well and playing a lot of baseball in Spokane. And, but yeah, this song is just, it's, it's stuck with me. I, I love, I love writing the metaphorical train um, that I'm assuming they're talking about. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the video is really lame. It's just like a dance party in some club. It's, it's not original at all. They're doing some choo-choo moves with their arms and stuff like that. It's like a dance. Like you did doing a line dance and yeah, but the the video is not, they're not in a club, Adam. They're in a fucking spaceship that is shaped like a a penis kind of, it's kind of weird, oddly shaped. And I think, I think it's a penis shaped spacecraft. I get that they're supposed to be in a spacecraft, but it's really just shots of them in a club intercut with wide shots of a really cheap, like CG spaceship fluttering over some random city. And I, I get what they were going for, but it didn't sell me at all. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is really shitty editing. And, and there's like no train in the, like, why aren't they on a fucking train? Why a spaceship? I don't know. <laughs> I don't what know. If, yeah, why what, is... if, what if the whole video, instead of taking place on a dance floor, took place on a train and the train's flowing by and each car by car people are doing new moves and, and maybe the lead singers are in every car wearing something different that would be cool that'd be a really original and hard to shoot video it'd yeah be really impressive that's a great that that seems if i was a creative director and the you know the quad city djs came to me like hey we want to make a music video for this song can you help us I'd be like 
yes, let's put it, let's do a dance club on a train. Like that only makes sense. Right. Instead, the guy was like, you know, it sounds perfect. A shitty CG space shuttle that we can intercut in between every few minutes. And people will totally get it. Yes. Uh, so, um, anyway, there was no train in the video, which is a little disappointing, but they are occasionally doing like this conga line thing that Brennan said. And I guess that's the train they're referring to. Like you can, you, some people refer to a conga line as a train, right? Yes. I, I, I don't know what they're getting at. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, double meaning in the song. I feel like you think, yes, tons of double meaning. So do you think the, the lead singer girl who's doing all the sexy moves and all that, do you think she's endorsing having the train run on her? I mean, maybe, or maybe she's trying to get, you know, women you to young women to have more trains run on them. Is it I mean, is like, it a, is it a social message? She could of be like one of those setup women who are like trying to like, this is there's this weird culture where there's women who are with a man and they're like trying to get other women to sleep with her husband or partner or whatever and maybe that's yeah, what I she's keep, doing I keep telling my wife to become friends with those women but they, <laughs> she just, she's got this weird like you know very possessive love of me and you know well we'll see you know i think i think more women could deserve my love but you know i i want to make her happy so i'm a one woman man until she changes her mind yeah um so anyway this was a pretty quality dance song at the time i remember this being in mixers and shit like that mm -hmm. people dancing to it it's it's a fun upbeat song and there again i we talked about this last week there was not a lot of good songs in the top 20 oh my god so repeat 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 for this they were just all so slow just a bunch of slow love r&b songs which you know i hate mm. um the one that was kind of funny was the macarena remix was number five at the same time but it felt wrong to do the macarena remix when we haven't done the original macarena which is probably the most 90s song of all time yeah easily the most 90s song it's very it's very 90s well that yeah. that will come up soon i imagine hopefully oh, yeah well we gotta do a 93 topic but okay. anyway um speaking of trains and other obsolete forms of transportation like horse and buggies Today, we're covering the magical tale of when a bowler met an Amish man in Kingpin. Ow! <laughs> I love this movie. It is, I don't... Yeah, I love it. It's like, I've watched this movie probably when, in the 90s when I got it on VHS probably once a month, easily. Oh, once a month? Yeah, I love it. The monthly visitor. Yeah, yeah, it was in my... I mean, like... <laughs> I don't what think I, I think we often forget that back in the day you couldn't just watch whatever the fuck you wanted to watch unless you had a humongous collection of VHS tapes and we had a humongous collection of VHS tapes and so and this was one of them and and yeah it was easy to it was easy to fall asleep to or and then and it was and it was hilarious it was a hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah. Um, do you remember how old? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Man, I want to say, I want to say I went and saw this in the theater, but I, you know, 1996, the summer. I, I feel like I would have done that. Like I don't, but I don't have a an experience of going to see it. I, but I just remember, I just remember kind of just loving the movie. Like I, it, it's just a really fun movie, and and I love the story and Woody Harrelson and uh, all the characters in it. It's just a, it's a really, it's a really heartwarming movie. And at the same time, very, very, very funny. So you think it's heartwarming? We'll it's get to that. It's heartwarming. And at we'll some point later. it's, it's not meaning to be heartwarming, but it, 
It can be sometimes. I don't know. It's I, not hard. I guess that's a bad description. I remember my first time watching it. Mom and Dan rented it for me when we lived in uh, Indian Canyon apartment complex, which is near the Indian Canyon golf course. Mm. And they brought it home and we watched it one like evening, the three of us. And I just remember being in stitches laughing like so hard being like un like i i just remember it was so outrageous and i just couldn't believe some of the stuff they were doing in particular the the, the scene where and we'll, we'll cover this when roy is with his landlady and we'll get into more detail later but i remember like seeing that scene as like a 12 year old and thinking it was like some of the most outrageously funny shit i'd ever seen and just like like rolling off my chair laughing thinking this is one of the funniest by the end i was like this is one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life like top Top three funniest movies ever. Mm -hmm. Ever? At the time. Yeah. Oh, at the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the movie had a budget of $25 million and only box office 32 which kind of sucks. I guess it wasn't really a box office success, it, but it definitely has had tremendous success on the second run on the, the video market and the VOD and all that bullshit and people owning it and talking about it. And it's one of those movies that really gained even more life as it spread and more people saw it and said, no, you got to watch this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was definitely a, like a movie that got really popular after it came out. And I read that part of the reason why they think it did so poorly was because it came out the same as a, the same weekend when the, the Olympics were starting. Um, and I don't know how mm. true that is, but like, it seems like bullshit. It's also, it was a rated R movie and rated R movies just didn't do well in the box office back then, especially rated R comedies. Like they weren't, they, and they had yeah. to come at the right time. Like that wasn't like no one was, everyone wanted to see blockbusters in, in the summers of in the nineties. Like it was like 1996 was probably like independence day was probably out at the same time. Um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I, the summer Olympics thing doesn't make any sense to me, but the rated R thing does. Yeah. Um. So uh, now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Brennan's bad synopsis. Ow. Oh man, I was I've been thinking a lot about this because I I know this movie very well, and I know I'm gonna just fuck this up really bad. The movie starts out with uh, Roy Munson. He is a a young amateur bowling bowler. He is just fresh off winning the state amateur bowling championship i guess um and i don't forget i don't know if it's iowa or, or ohio um but a lot of bowling goes on in that state so it's very very high i don't know which state it is but i know there's a lot of bowling <laughs> you know i imagine mid the midwest has a ton of there's a ton of bowling in the midwest like illinois the, tons of yeah, bowling what else alleys. do those people do yeah they don't do there's no, there's no lakes there to go do anything there's no ocean not, no definitely not an ocean but he is one um that state amateur and he decides to go pro and he goes and in his first debut as a pro bowler, he beats Ernie McCracken and you know, life is good. He is on his way to being in one of the best bowlers of all time. And he befriends the person he just beat in the tournament, Ernie McCracken played by uh, Bill Murray and Bill Murray, like decides, catches him out after the tournament and decides like, Hey, let's get a drink. And then in, in this getting a drink scenario, Ernie kind of convinces 
well, I don't think he convinces. He kind of like gets Roy to like be in a hustle. Like so they go to this bowling alley and pour sugar in his gas tank. Oh, that's right. Thank you. He pours sugar in his gas tank to to catch him. And like so Ernie wants to get him to help him hustle at this bowling alley so they can win some money. And these the they end up bowling against this priest or pastor or I think he's a priest. He has wearing the white thing around his neck. And they end up beating this priest and but it turns out the priest is also hustling them, I think. I think that's how it goes. And yeah. And then he takes off his like thing. He's like, I'm not a priest. And they beat up Roy. Ernie takes off. And and in this process, they grab Roy and they put his hand in the bowling dis like that dispenser, but the bowling what do you call that thing? Like the shoot, you know where like the the ball comes up and there's a little spinny thing and it says, "Do not put your hand in there." Well, they put yeah, his hand in there. I always called it the ball ejaculator. <laughs> they put and then he apparently loses his hand from that. His bowling hand, his right his right hand. Uh, fast forward to seventeen years, twenty five years. I don't know later. Seventeen. He is now down on his luck. Roy Munson. He lives in a shitty apartment. He has a shitty landlord much like Adam and, and, uh, but he, you know, he's just, he's a, he's an alcoholic. He has nothing going for him. I'm not really sure what, Oh, and then what happens is he, he goes to bowling alleys a lot. I don't, and I sells bowling supplies. Is that what he does? He sells like vending machine supplies. Okay. Like condoms and cigarettes. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Oh, cause that makes sense. Now I think about it at the, cause at the end of the movie, he sees this tall Amish man, uh, Ishmael, uh, played by Randy Quaid, and he is bowling. He's bowling really well, and he stops him at the, you know, at the. He stops him after he's leaving, and he asks him like what his average is in bowling, and Ishmael's bowling average is like two seventy or two seventy five or something like that, which is a amazing average. But he's he's Amish, so he wouldn't be competing and stuff because that's not allowed. He just goes to the bowling alley because that's what him and his grandfather used to do. Bowls in secret. Right. So Roy concocts a plan to, he sees a ad for winner-take-all bowling event in Reno, Nevada, and he decides, I'm going to get this kid to go with me to Reno, Nevada to win this bowling tournament and split 500000 or $1 million. I mean, he. I guess he just needs money because he's he's short on his rent and he doesn't want to have sex with his uh his landlord again. Uh, is that? I don't know why not. <laughs> uh, and he convinces. Um, and it turns out that uh, Ishmael's family, the Amish people, they are also down on their luck. They need five hundred thousand dollars exactly to order to save the the family farm. And so Roy convinces uh, Ishmael to go to Reno, Nevada, playing this play role. I don't know what you do. Uh, bowling tournament. And along the way, they find out that Ishmael does not actually have an average of 275 over 10 frames. He has an average over 275 over 15 frames because Amish always do things extra. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's 10% extra. What's the half as much? Half as much. You work an eight-hour day, we work 12. We do everything you do plus a half. That's how we survive. And Roy is, he he's like, this is, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. But uh, Ishmael convinces him that they should do it. And then he 
He's like, I'm going to teach you how to be a better bowler. And then they would get a whole montage of him becoming a better bowler. There's a lot of montages in this movie. We'll get to that later. That's why you like it so much. <laughs> I mean, Brennan was... is such a fucking sucker for montages. But in this movie, I was realizing there's a lot of montages. Like there's a montage like every 15 minutes. Um, and along the way, they also got to make their way across the country. And they're going to hustle the, their way across the country. Um one place they hustle is this private, this like bowling alley in someone's house. And here they meet uh, Jessica, not Jessica, I always call Jessica, Vanessa Angel. Uh, that's the actress that plays her, uh, Claudia. And Claudia is a very sexy woman. Uh, she's girlfriend of this, of this other hustler who's hustling Roy. And, or he's not hustling, he's like a, He's a gambler. He's gambling on his game. And Roy, they, I think they are, they're gambling for like a thousand dollars. Roy doesn't actually have the money. And the, the guy finds out, starts beating them up. And then, but then Vanessa, Claudia decides to help them get out of there. And then they, and they kind of save her while saving them and blah, blah, blah. Um, she she double crossed her husband because he slaps her, and that's her like rule. It's like you don't hit me or I'll fuck you over. That's right. Then we get another montage of um, now they're hustling across the country all together, and now they're splitting this three ways. They get to Nevada, Reno, Nevada, for this tournament, and, and man, this is where everything gets a little foggy. Ishmael breaks his hand there before the tournament starts. You're petering out, Brennan. What's how does he how does how does he break his hand, Adam? Remind because me. McCracken is talking shit to uh, Roy. That's right. And, and Ishmael goes to punch McCracken and McCracken ducks and he just punches the wall. That's right. So punches him. Yes. And then they run into Ernie McCracken here in, in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Ernie McCracken is now one of the greatest bowlers of all time. He He's is the Pete Weber of this movie. Yes. He is in the Hall of Fame. He is amazing. He is also a womanizer. He's a terrible person, but he's fucking hilarious. And he has a the worst, he has a worse comb over than Donald Trump. Uh yeah, it's and, really it's a really comically bad comb over, <laughs> but it's great. It's great, especially in the final scene. And now they're in a pickle because they want to they need to get this money. And the only way they can think of winning the money now is that Roy is going to now bowl. Like Roy was going to be Ernie McCracken today, but he, you know, he has a fake hand. He has a fake plastic hand. They call rubber. him Rubber Man. And he gets into the tournament. He signs up for the tournament, and he starts winning. He starts winning, and he ends up in the in the the final with um with Ernie. But during all this, there's a lot that happens. Vanessa ends up like going back with her husband. They end up betting on. Roy, or not, not Roy, but they end up betting on Ernie McCracken to win the, the tournament. Ishmael's just there kind of helping out, I think. He's, he hasn't left, right? Um, his brother, never mind. This is, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, they, get, they get into the championship. Um, Ernie McCracken, uh, Roy has to hit three strikes to win, or not win, but to get it, like to make it very, very close. He gets three strikes, I believe. And then, but Ernie McCracken, who bowls last, has also, he gets, if he gets three strikes, he wins the tournament, gets the three strikes, wins by one, one pin. And then they kind of, they cut to like 
Roy's just sitting in this empty bowling alley by himself. Ishmael's brother has come to save him from from the from sin, takes him back home. Cut to like a week later, and Roy is pouring out all of his alcohol in his house. Uh, Claudia shows up, and she she hustled her boyfriend, husband, whatever he is, and they she they now have eighty thousand dollars to split between the three of them. Uh, turns out that Roy in that week got a $500,000 sponsorship from Trojan um, because they called him Rubberman in the tournament. And and he decides to give that check to Ishmael's family to save the farm. And then Claudia and Roy ride off into the sunset together to Blues Travelers, playing a show for the Amish people. The Blues Travelers are Amish, apparently. And that's the end of the movie. Um, wow. That Man, took that, as long as the movie, Brennan. That was really long. I really went through all the... That's what you guys want from me. You covered every beat, that's for sure. Um, that's how intricate this movie is, Adam. It's There's a lot that's going on in this movie. And... Intricate is one word. I think the better <laughs> word is uh, fast-paced and short scenes. There's a lot of quick, funny scenes. Get in, get the good joke, get out. Which yeah. are movies I like. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the Fairler Brothers are famous for that. Like This followed up Dumb and Dumber, right? Um, yeah. And it feels a lot like Dumb and Dumber, but... Yeah, they're both road trip movies. Yeah, for sure. And so is me, myself, and Irene. But yeah, they're... They're, they're all very similar formats. Um, so, good job. Uh, let's get into our favorite characters, then. Obviously, the main character is Woody Harrelson as Roy Munson. At this time, people knew him from the show Cheers, which had been incredibly popular. Brennan's favorite basketball movie, White Men Can't Jump. Oh, we need to do that he, someday. We uh, haven't yeah, done that yet. And then he was in Natural Born Killers, which was Tarantino's first script that he didn't direct, which I'm not actually a big fan of, but it kind of showed Woody's range a little bit. Mm. Um, anyway, Brennan said he's a down-and-out bowler. He's he's reaching for straws to try and make a buck with a bowling prospect that he found in Amish country. He wanted the – this is kind of like an ongoing joke in the movie that the name Munson, his mm. dad says his name Munson will be synonymous with bowling or synonymous with winning like DiMaggio's to baseball, but instead <laughs> – Everyone keeps using it in different contexts. Like, like Ishmael says, oh, I don't want to be munsoned out here in the middle of nowhere, you know, to be up a creek without a paddle, to have to have the whole world in your hand and then blow it like a loser. Like, <laughs> Do you want me to play the clip? Yeah. They expect me to come home with my tail between my legs, but I won't do it. I'd sooner get munsoned out here in the middle of nowhere than lose face in front of my friends whoa, and family whoa, again. Whoa, What'd you just say? I said I don't want to lose face in front of my friends and family. No, before that. I said I'd sooner get Munsoned out here in the middle of nowhere. Munsoned? What the hell is that? You know, Munsoned. Uh, to be up a creek without a paddle, to, to have the whole world in the palm of your hand and then, and then blow it. You know, it's a figure of speech. Munsoned? <laughs> so cut my explanation if you're in <laughs> Yeah, I, I I had to include that clip because it's a fun, it's a ongoing gag that goes throughout the entire movie. People just keep on using the term Munson in front of him, and they don't know that it's based off of him. And he just keeps on hearing it, and he's like Munson. And uh, why are they all using my last name as a term for sucking, fucking something up really bad? <laughs> Uh, at the time, Woody Harrelson would also release the movie The People versus Larry Flint. I think it was later that year, um, showing his desire to branch out from comedy and also displaying his rather wider range than people had given him credit for from Cheers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so he had a really interesting year. Kingpin and The People versus Larry Flint are, are 
about as polar opposite as you can get on the spectrum of movies without getting into like little kid shit. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's great. Woody Harrelson is just great in this movie. I mean, everyone always thought he could do comedy, but he did a little bit more than comedy. He, he sort of, not only was he funny, but he was, he was effectively, he was really good at being the butt of jokes and wearing it really well. It wasn't just him delivering the jokes. He, he was, did some of that, but he also like set himself up for the jokes really well, mm. which is a, which is a hard skill. Some people can't do it. Yeah. I think what I love about Woody Harrelson the most is that he's an everyman. Like he's not like a super beautiful, like he's not like a, a very like attractive man but he has like he has that everyman quality that makes him kind of like imagine attractive to women uh and he just has this vibe about him that he's just i just i've always loved him and everything he's in whenever i see woody harrelson pop up in a in a movie i just he's a very good actor he's in i mean he's and he's been a consistent actor since the mid 80s until to t till today like he's still making really yeah, good 35 movies plus years yeah he's i mean he was i don't know if he was nominated for uh three billboards but you know he was in th um was he in three billboards yeah he was i don't know what that movie is um it's like a what's the three billboards over ebbing missouri it's like he in bruises um the director oh um anyways Great actor. So sp speaking of him acting, there's a scene where he's trying to convince Ishmael's family that he's an Amishman. So he goes to Amish country to try and recruit Ishmael in disguise. And we've got a clip of him explaining why he doesn't have kids. How many children do you have, Brother Hezekiah? Uh, none that I know of. What I mean to say is I was, uh, we, uh, I'm unable to have children. Nasty, cheese grade in accident as a young man. My favorite part of that scene is there's an old woman that sits at the table, I'm assuming the grandmother, and she has like this really, she has this long hairs on her face and she like nods when he says that. Like, mm. yeah, like, oh, I've seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's such, like, when you visualize it, it's like the most awful thing I could think of. Like, <laughs> with a fucking cheese grater. Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Woody Harrelson's amazing in this, and I didn't realize like this. I mean, he you're right that he didn't do much traditional comedy. Like this is one of I mean, I looking at his roles, like he hasn't he didn't do much comedy. He was in Cheers, he was funny, but like he was always playing like a a pretty normal like he was a dumbass. Yeah, Cheers. dumb. He was like the, always, you know, yeah. just saying dumb shit. It, I I a lot of people liked Woody in Cheers. I didn't dislike him or anything, but I I don't know. He was very flat to me. He was just kind of a he was like a, a, a rube. He was mm. like a, a Midwestern rube in Boston that didn't know anything. So uh, the next character in the movie that's great is Randy Quaid as Ishmael. Um, most people know Randy Quaid from his National Lampoon's movies, Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation. Just rewatch Christmas Vacation as is tradition, mm. and that's my favorite of the bunch. Um, he was also the really pissed off fan in Major League Two, which I think is a really underrated funny role. Like mm. he's in major league two, he's out in center field, just talking shit to the Cleveland Indians, like the entire movie. And the things that he says to like Rick wild thing, Vaughn are just hilarious. Um, and then obviously, he, and Brendan mentioned this earlier, he was in independence day as sort of like the drunk ex military crop duster guy who believed in aliens that no one and everyone thought he was crazy. Well, because he'd been abducted in it. Right. Have we done independence day? I'm sure we have. 
We did, yeah. yeah. So in the in the 1998 X Files movie, which I just watched last month, Mulder piss he pisses on a movie poster for Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> I never caught that when I'd seen that movie before. It was so funny seeing Boulder piss on Independence Day. Like, this is so stupid. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. Randy Quaid is the older brother of Dennis Quaid, who's probably a little more popular, a little more famous at this point, and even then, really. Um, in his later life, Randy Quaid was arrested at least three times for stealing and for violating some sort of Canadian immigration law, which I didn't look into. I think he's I think he's stuck in Canada. I don't think he can come to America anymore. Really? Like something happened and I think he's a little bit of a little bit of a nut. Um Yeah, I think most people would agree with that based on what they've I I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know all the details, but yeah. it didn't go so well for for Randy Quaid after the year 2002 or so. He mm. kind of yeah. started trending the wrong way. Um he he was actually in the movie Brokeback Mountain, if you remember that, and he was yeah. like the the rancher that hired these two guys at the very beginning, and he tells them like, you know, no playing, stick the stem in the rose bush or something like that, which I never really understood. I guess it's some sort of gay thing, but I had never heard that term before. Anyway, he tried to sue Brokeback Mountain once the film got popular that they like they didn't pay him enough money or some shit. And it's like, dude, you're Randy Quaid. You're lucky you got any work at all at that point. Like you you were. You were out on the outs. Yeah, that's interesting. I totally he. It's a very small role. Like he, yeah, he just gets them. He he's a guy who like hires Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger to go up into the mountains um, and, yeah, and like, watch, watch the, sheep. the sheep or something <laughs> like that. Um, so Ishmael is kind of the straight man, but they make they make him funny by showing him as this out of control Amishman who's who gets to try all the American sins for the first time, like. At one point, he's, like, stripping for money to, like, these <laughs> cowboys in, like, this little white dress. And then uh, he's getting tattoos, and he's doing bong rips, and it's just crazy. There's a funny scene where I, I wish I would have grabbed this clip is when Roy's trying to, like, he's smoking, and, like, Ishmael's like, you shouldn't smoke, Roy, or whatever. Uh, and uh, he, and Roy's, like, tells him, why would the, why would the, the cigarette companies make something that's going to kill their customers. And, and Ishmael's like, hmm. And then the next scene's like him, like smoking a, a couple cigarettes. I think, uh, I, I, the other thing that's funny about his character is that I think he's playing a young man. Like he's supposed to be playing like a very, like maybe like just early twenties, but like, he's obviously in his forties and which is, I think is kind of funny. They never really say his age, but he definitely acts like a very young man, like a very like, like 22 to 25 year old man. But yeah. I think I think part of that is supposed to be his sheltered existence, you know, that like when he gets out there, he really doesn't know any of this shit. And he, it's so sheltered living in Amish country like he doesn't it's not that he knows that it's bad. He doesn't even know it exists. Right. Know? And then why don't you do the next character? Brennan? The next character is. I don't know, one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Uh, Bill Murray as Big Earn, Ernie McCracken uh, of SNL, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day. What about Bob Rushmore? Um, Lost in Translation. This, uh, this, he's had an amazing career. So early in the movie, he's a con man bowler who's, he gets Roy to try to help him, help him hustle some other 
hustlers and uh, gets, you know, Roy to lose his hand. And 17 years later, he becomes this, this god of a, a bowler. And, and he's very much, a, like I mentioned earlier, he's a misogynist. He's, he's just, but he's just a, a very, very heightened, not heightened, over-the-top character that you would expect from Bill Murray. Like, the, the stuff that he does in this movie is just so, it's hilarious. Like, he's, his, he's, very in, he's in the movie for a very limited amount of time, but the scenes that he's in, he's the, the, the star of the scene. Like, you can't, he makes this movie so much better. Um, if, if Bill Murray was not in this movie, it would not be nearly as good as, as, as it is. So I agree. If you had to, if you had to keep one of them and replace the other ones, I'd say you need to keep Bill Murray and yeah. like, I'll find a new Ishmael and I can replace Woody somehow, but you, I, it'd be tough to replace Bill Murray. He plays such a funny asshole and he's done this so many times in his career. And it's because in real life, he is a funny asshole. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. He just is. And that's that's why he can do it so well. And he knows where the line is most of the time. Ernie McCracken is a great character. Great, I would say, a very, very, very underrated um, movie character. Yeah, and he has this great commercial that he does that's on TV when, like, Roy first gets to Vegas that we're going to play. Ah! Uh, I'm Ernie McCracken. When I found out little Billy here was growing up without a daddy, I had to do something. When Big Earn saw our picture in the paper, he called the Unified Fund and got involved. I had to. I couldn't help myself. But little Billy's not the only one. There's also a little Jason here. Once again this year, I'll be sponsoring a fatherless family in every city I bowl with. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, Mr. McCracken's already there. <laughs> Jonathan, we're going to fly pattern all the way to the goal line. Tennessee! Kentucky. Yeah, basically all these uh, fatherless children have very attractive moms. Milfs. Yes. Uh, in 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 the scene, like he's constantly, he's like very close to the woman, and he's like handsy. touching them. Very handsy. Very 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 handsy. <laughs> Great character. Won't say that again. I guess he allegedly ad-libbed that whole commercial, like his portion of the dialogue. It was just him fucking around. I think he ad-libbed most of this movie. I mean, that's what I read. Is that he? Oh, really? That he like most of the movie he he ad-libbed all of it. Like not all of it, but like. But that, I, I've heard that about Bill Murray in movies is that he doesn't really re like read scripts. In that, in when he's in scenes, he just does whatever the what he wants to do, and and most directors won't stop him from doing that well if there's a there's a handful of people that can get away with it and still make it screen worthy and he's one of them totally um oh and i should we should mention his uh bowling ball has a a red rose inside of it Do yeah you, it's, it's, it's a really cool looking bowling ball it very much is um like gold and it's like solid glass or like a like a like a glittery gold with this bright red rose in the middle. It looks cool. It'd be the kind of thing you'd want to bowl with. Mm -hmm. uh, so so last character, which we're going to talk about in any detail, is Vanessa Angel as Claudia. Um, the only real thing she did that people knew other than this was she was the, the hot, I don't know, robot lady or whatever you call her, in the weird science TV show, not the movie. Yeah, They like rebooted it on the USA Network, and she was, you know, the hot British 
creation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And she's been in a lot of shit other than that. Like not a lot of stuff you'd talk about. Honestly, she's mostly just kind of like eye candy in this movie. She's not really a great actress, honestly. Um, She's British and she's trying to do an American accent that doesn't play so well. (laughs) She's completely out of Roy Munson's league in every which way. Um, And like, I get that you want to like, like I'm not criticizing the movie or criticizing the casting director at all. Cause like they're trying to sell tickets. So they cast like this beautiful woman to play this character. And and when she is playing just the eye candy portion of, of the movie, she's great. Yeah. But, but she has to like turn a new leaf at some point and start acting. It doesn't go so well. I'm convinced. So I, I don't have a, I don't have a very high opinion of Vanessa Angel. What about you? I, I don't either. Like I watched that weird science show for whatever, like it was, it might've been on like in syndication later and I've, I've watched it. It's not very good either. She is very much as I can't candy in this movie, but they try to give her some depth, which doesn't come across very well because she kind of comes across as a, a bitch for the lack of a better term. And, but at the end of the movie, she ends up kind of running away with Roy, which I, I mean, there was no love interest there when, when they get to Reno, there was nothing there. And then at the end of it, like she's now, attracted to him and wants to run away with him and i yeah I think th- them being friends would have been enough for me yeah like it was just odd but like i i thought about this i was just like why why would they cast her and not like get a good a better actress and i was just like it had to be budget like they they had to spend all their budget on woody harrelson and bill murray and i imagine bill murray costs a lot to be in this movie because like having him in here as like a, a minor character was you know that doesn't happen all a, a lot um well you're th- right that the budget was probably a factor but i mean she's more or less an unknown at this point i don't think like anyone was like oh it's the girl from that shitty weird science version yeah. of the tv show in usa mm-hmm. and i i kind of bristle against the idea that you couldn't have found a better actress as an unknown that was also pretty mm-hmm. that's i mean those kind of like those kind of actresses like no offense, they kind of grow on trees in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful women everywhere, and some of them can actually act. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, anyway, I, so I've got a story about Vanessa Angel, uh, an indirect story. Okay. They made a movie on the South Hill of Spokane at an apartment complex I worked at at the time, and they were shooting it in one of our apartments, and they remodeled our apartment. It was some story about like um, like an Asian girl and her father growing up in in america and assimilating something like that i honestly don't remember the name of it i never even saw it but they filmed it it was a it was an indie production but like a legit indie um at this apartment complex where i worked at and i met a producer who was kind enough to like show me around the film set one day and he took me to like the food cart and he got or the food truck and he got me something to eat and for some reason he started oh he told me that he worked on weird science Mm. the tv show and I, I brought up, oh, that's that had that girl from Kingpin. I remember saying something like that. And he told me that everyone on the set of Weird Science like hated Vanessa Angel, that she was really stuck up and rude. And he called her a total dingbat. And he told me the story about her being <laughs> coached, coached up on how to do this one stunt scene where she was sort of being drug along through a hallway on like um like a janitor's cart or something. And it wasn't a very hard stunt, but they were giving her special instructions on like how to hold on and what. And she got really short with the stunt dragon. She was like, I got it. It's fine. Go away. I got it. And they're like, okay. And they did the stunt and she fell flat on her face and her skirt like rolled over so everyone could see her ass. And she jumped up and she screamed at everyone and like marched off to her trailer and everyone was like kind of chuckling, you know? So 
anyway, I think there's I think there's more than just a talent reason she didn't get a lot of work. It yeah. sounds like she was pretty difficult to work with. Interesting. Interesting. As for the rest of the cast, like there's not a lot of I mean, there's some cameos from like, um, but there's Chris Elliott's in it. But then you wanted to mention Lynn Shay. She's a landlady. And she's yeah. So obviously a kindred spirit of mine. I'm a professional landlord. For those that don't know, that's my day job. And uh, Lynn Shay is this really sleazy private landlady at this dump slum complex where Roy lives. Mm -hmm. Lynn Shay is like a veteran character actress, and she's been doing like small roles for years. These days, she's a horror movie icon. Um, she's been in almost every Fairly Brothers movie. She was in Detroit Rock City, and she was in the Insidious franchise. And Roy's a little short on rent one month. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because it isn't so Oh, stop it, you. It wasn't that bad. Oh, my little Roy toy. What is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? Still you really jarred something loose, Tiger. Oh, boy. Got two bits of advice for you, Munson. Number one, why don't you forget about this bowling business and get yourself a real job? Number two, you still owe me another month's rent. That scene... Is so fucking gross. I they make her look so dis like just like someone you would never would ever want to touch. Like even she with like looks a looks like she's been infected by the zombie virus and she's slowly turning. You know in zombie movies where you get bit but you're not quite a zombie yet and your skin is turning green and your face looks like a monster and your hair's all grubby. That's how she looks. Yeah. Uh but she it's a great character and it, I that scene when she does the like the, la, 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 the I for whatever reason stuck with me and I like and I I, I do it as a joke to like my wife. <laughs> oh man. Uh, my wife hates that move, the, the tongue thing. She, oh, it's so she, gross. She's like, just disgusted by it. Um, anyway, but that scene, I think maybe the funniest scene in the movie, I, I let out these huge belly laughs every single time I watch it. Uh, and when she's like putting up her, like pulling up her stockings and her legs are just all weird and vain. Pulling up her tidy whiteies oh, over her varicose veins. That's so gross. Uh, it's really gross. Uh, and Roy's like puking into a toilet and you see the puke, which is like, I remember being kind of shocked at that when I was a kid. You don't normally see the puke. You can hear it or it's off screen, but you could see the chunks like coming out of Roy's <laughs> mouth and they're all like milky. I want to know what was what he had in his mouth. Like, I, I don't want to know. It's probably like some weird shit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a great scene. And, and speaking of best scenes, let's, let's get to those, Adam. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the scene where Roy and Bigger and try and con the bowlers in the 80s. Let's, mm -hmm. let's skip that one. Um, I, I really love the scene when Roy goes to Amish country and he pretends to be Amish so he can recruit Ishmael because he's he's pretending that he knows what the Amish are like and he's Amish and he can speak like them and work like them and, and think like them. And of course, he could do none of those things because he's a complete like deadbeat alcoholic at this point. Um, and, but he's constantly trying to impress the family by doing various chores. Yeah, I hope you don't mind. I got up a little early, so I took the liberty of milking your cow for you. 
Yeah, it took a little while to get her warmed up. She sure is a stubborn one. Whew. We don't have a cow. We have a bull. <laughs> I'll brush my teeth. Won't, won't lie to you. 12-year-old um, Brennan did not know what was happening in that scene. <laughs> and I didn't get it until later in life. Uh, That's probably for the best. <laughs> uh, I also thought it was really funny when they asked him to de-shoe uh, de the horse, and he cuts off the horse's feet. Oh yeah, that's kind of sad. <laughs> I was like, "Why? How did that? How did that even happen?" But uh, that that whole like part of the movie when he's like undercover and trying to be a uh, uh, Amish is, is very funny. And but uh, they could they could make a whole movie about that called and call it Richard for Poor with uh, Tim Allen and Kirstie uh, Alley. Um, Have you ever seen that? It always seems so stupid. It's terrible. I saw I saw that in the theater. Um, mm, too bad. Uh, there's a lot of good scenes. Like we mentioned, there's a bunch of, um, there's a whole like cut where like they're hustling all these people like throughout as they're traveling to Reno and they're this hustling, like it's just very, it's a very funny scene. And I think what part of it is when, well, you explain like that part of that scene when they're hustling the, the old lady. So it's like a montage and they're they're going from town to town and they're using Vanessa Angel to like distract people, distract men mm -hmm. so that they can win these bowling contests. But then they they go up against these senior citizens and they beat this old grandma and she starts like point, pouring out her coin purse <laughs> to pay the debt. And it's like, you know, it's like a couple quarters and you think that she's not going to be able to pay. And then it cuts to a shot of them driving away with her electric wheelchair <laughs> tied to the back of their convertible. It's really funny. <laughs> that they took his payment. Of uh, there's the the lounge singer guy that's in there's something about Mary that plays like the wandering minstrel. He's in this scene in the diner, which was a fun a fun scene. Oh. Uh, there's this scene where all these like rowdy Native American teenagers are driving by and they throw this bag of litter at Ishmael's feet and Ishmael the Amishman <laughs> he picks it up and he's. He picks it up and he turns the camera and he starts crying like the old crying Indian in the anti-pollution commercial from the 70s. That is so fucking funny. It is very funny. I did not catch that at all. And now that you mention it, like, that is, that's, that's fucking hilarious. Um, it's so funny. And then, so they're using Nessa Angel to distract all these men. And then they get to this little shitty Midwestern town and they're playing these farmers and like none of them are distracted by Vanessa Angel, and then Ishmael whispers something into Roy, and the next shot you see the the old farmer bowler trying to bowl, but he can't. He's all distracted, and he bowls a spare uh, a gutter. Then he turns, and he's got this big sweet on you smile, and it pans out, and he's looking at a sheep that they brought <laughs> in. And like... <laughs> oh, that's gross. Um, it's really good. It's really good fun. It's 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 full of this awesome. I would say like there's not really a really dead part of this movie. There, I mean, there's a lot that could be cut from this movie, but everything they're they're always going for a laugh. The Fairley Brothers are always trying trying to get you to laugh in every scene. But probably the best scene in the movie is the very very final scene when Roy and Ernie McCracken are are sh are in a showdown in the, in the final uh, bowling match, and it like it is Ernie McCracken is like when he's going for the win, he. His hair, his comb over just gets really, really crazy. It's just kind of like flapping like the whole time. And he's just so, he's just acting so fucking cool. And he's like, 
and and at the same time, like his hair is just cr- he just looks like a fool. Uh, and it, it's probably easily my favorite scene in this in this movie. Um, yeah, that's a good scene. It doesn't have that that too many memorable quotes. But before before the bowling tournament starts, there's this funny quote where it shows all these big, fat, slovenly men, and they're like eating hot dogs and beer and pizza. And Ishmael goes, "Wow, it's kind of intimidating to be in the presence of so many great athletes." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and they're all professional bowlers. <laughs> oh. No. So anyway, yeah, there's this this movie doesn't miss a chance to make you laugh. And yeah. it's it's what it's best known for and why we continue to love it here 26 years later. Mm-hmm. So let's get into this and that. Um we mentioned it was directed by the Fairley brothers who did Dumb and Dumber, and there's something about Mary and me, myself, and Irene. Um, and they directed Kingpin, but they didn't write Kingpin. Mm. Um some other guys wrote it and I'll get to them in a minute, but I, I just want to say like, in my opinion, the Fairly brothers movies really fell off a giant cliff after me, myself and Irene, like the, the movies after that were just yeah, really gimmicky and not funny. Like shallow, Hal, stuck on you, dumb and dumberer hall pass the three stooges. Like these are, these movies, they're all built on like one kind of funny gimmick, but they're like SNL skit gimmicks. Like it would have been a fine SNL skit for like four to six minutes, but they're all like a hundred to 110 minute movies. And it's like, dude, the joke is so over. The shallow Hal joke is so over after 10 minutes of that movie, the stuck on you twins is that joke is so not funny after like 10, 15 minutes. And it just goes on and on and on and on regurgitating the same like version of the same joke. Obviously everyone hated dumb and dumber. They did a movie called Outside Providence and like Alec Baldwin's in it. It's it's actually not terrible, but it's not very memorable either. They actually try and have a little more heart in that movie. It's not, but, but it's, it's kind of ruined by, by the gross out humor at times. And I don't, that doesn't make a great balance to me where you're trying to like have a realistic, like coming of age story and all this outrageous gross out humor, like every other minute. Like it, I don't, those, one of them sullies the other, you know? Yeah. And you know, I'm the Fairly Brothers are a good example of, Maybe they lost their fastball, or maybe everyone everyone just got tired of seeing the same thing. I, I mean, honestly, I think what happened was they had just been doing too many movies together, and they were just trying to keep on repeating, trying to repeat the success of, you know, the, the 90s movies. And when Peter uh, Fairley, when he branched out and he, he produced Green Book, um, which is uh, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, like that movie won best picture. Like, I don't know. And so he definitely, when he branched out, like he did make, he did make a good movie. Um, well, that's good. And and I, I didn't mention a lot of his later work yeah. um, because it's not nineties, but right, you're for right. Sure. Yeah. But um, you're right. The movie was written by a, a writing pair uh, this guy named Barry Finero, I think. And he was kind of a writer producer on the golden girls, which is probably his, his, where he got most of his work. And, you know, I like the Golden Girls. It's it's not real. I'm a little, it's a little before my time and it's not exactly my demographic. But when I watch it, I, I, I genuinely laugh sometimes. I That's one of those old sitcoms that I'll watch and find humorous. So I have a lot of respect for that show. Mm. And he also wrote Men in Black 2, which I never saw. It looked terrible. And he wrote the movie I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which I think is like one of the worst and most blatantly homophobic movies of all time. I just I hate I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I find it just so awful and cheap laughs but and then his barry finero's writing partner was a guy named mort nathan and he also worked on the golden girls and he wrote the movie boat trip with cuba Gooding jr and horatio sands 
Boat Trip is another straight guy in a gay world movie that pretty much has the same gay stereotype jokes you've heard at the seventh grade lunch table 8,000 times. At least I did at my seventh grade lunch table. I hope seventh grade lunch tables have, have uh, moved beyond that humor I'm in 2022. Guarantee you they haven't. Yeah, prob probably not. <laughs> but anyway, I, I didn't find those movies very clever after Kingpin, to yeah. be frank. So Brennan loves to talk about who else could have played these roles. Mm. And I found that the other big cast considerations for this movie were Michael Keaton, Chris Farley, and Jim Carrey as Roy, Ishmael, and Big Earn. What do you think of Michael Keaton, Chris Farley, and Jim Carrey? Michael Keaton could play Big Earn. It... No, no. Michael Keaton was Roy. Oh, Oh. Keaton, Farley, and Carey as Roy, Ishmael, and Big Earn. Man, I don't know about that. That seems that's tough. But it I like. I mean, I like it. I like it. I don't. Chris Farley as Ishmael. It would have been so different because it would have been screwbally. Yeah, you know? it would have been like an Ishmael's not. I no, guess Ishmael's he, kind of sweet. He's sweet, but like Chris Farley can play dumb too, though, really well. Like dumb and like. But yeah. it'd be funnier. It'd be a little bit. It'd be a much more funny part. But like Michael Keaton is Roy. I, I guess I could see it. Uh, Michael Keaton's funny. I mean, yeah. just, like he did Multiplicity that year, which I think is a really funny movie. And he plays like four different roles. And I saw the Jim Carrey thing as Big Earn, and I was like, I could see a young Jim Carrey being Big Earn and that be in that role being and being funny. Like Jim Carrey can do, could do it. Yeah, um, it would have been funny, but I don't know that it would have been better than than bill murray that bill yeah. murray had more gravitas and he was just older like bill murray was much older at that time than jim carrey and yeah. i liked that big earn was this old sleazy dude i could i could actually see michael keaton now being big earn i mean michael keaton can play play an asshole very well like I'm, yeah, the only one i really hate is chris farley as ishmael i just don't think that i think that would have been so, you would have really had to change the ishmael character yeah you would have to on to um one of my favorite segments Dumb shit. What are some of your dumb shit things in this movie, Adam? I mean, the whole movie's kind of dumb. So it, I did, it felt weird to nitpick which jokes were dumb and which one weren't. So I focused on just one plot hole, which you kind of mentioned earlier. So Roy, why would Roy... It doesn't make a lot of sense that Roy would believe in Ishmael when he finds out that his average is only high because he bowls 15 frames as opposed to 10. Like, in reality, he has like a 190 average or 180, somewhere around there. And he's got, what, less than two months to get this guy to become a world-class bowler who can beat the PGA champion, you know, Ernie McCracken. Mm. It doesn't seem like an endeavor that would ever work, even to the most down-on-his-luck guy. Like, it doesn't seem like Roy could, could afford to take that road trip with that as his only cause for for the care at the end of, at the end of the rope. I I don't know that it didn't add up to me personally, yeah. but that that's a bit of a plot hole. There is a big that, bit that's of a plot. Really the only one I would say. I I looked it up and I I wanted to know like what are bowling averages? Like what's a good bowling average for a professional bowler? And a good professional bowler will have an average between like 250 to 275 and so I guess that, that it's there, but like I, I still don't understand the fifteen frames thing. Like, how do you not know? Or like, yeah, I don't know. You can you can see you can see on the screen what of someone's bowling. Like, well, so. well, in the nineties, there was still a lot of yeah. hand scorekeeping. That's true. In, in fact, you can see Vanessa Angel 
keeping score by hand to distract some bowlers in one scene with her little short skirt. She's like re pretending to reach up high on her heels, you know, because she's keeping score on the board by with like chalk or something. It wasn't all automated at the time, especially not in Amish country, I'm assuming. So he's just he's just writing down the pins by hand. Have you ever learned how to score bowling, Adam? Do you know how to do it? Yeah, yeah, I know how. Yeah. Um, so for every every strike, you count like your next two balls with the strike. Yeah. So if you roll three strikes in a row, that makes your first strike worth 30 pins. And that's how you get a perfect 10 yeah. or a perfect game is you have to roll all strikes. Yep. Um, and a spare, you count the first the next ball or half of the next ball the next like you the next in the next frame you can you count the first ball so you know like when you get a spare and then you get a gutter ball you get no you get none yeah, of those like, points that's like the worst thing you can do when you get spares and strikes is roll a gutter like you you need to get a decent roll after one of those to maximize the value of your spare strike. Yeah. that's what i remember I, 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 I learned it in school but it's crazy to think that back in the day like when you went to a bowling alley you had to keep score yourself I was kind of a, not a whiz, but I was always really great at math. I, was, I, I kind of enjoyed keeping score. And I remember always being in charge of having to just keep score for my family when we went. Yeah. I too don't have much dumb shit in this thing. I would say the biggest, my biggest plot hole in this movie is freaking Roy bowling with not even a prosthetic, like a, a rubber hand that doesn't, like it doesn't make sense that he could. Yeah, his yeah. hand, his fingers are flaccid the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense how they would even hold the ball up or how he could ever guide the ball. Yeah. It would have been better if he was bowling with the hook. It, yeah, def, it would. It, it, I'm wondering if they tried that and they're like, we can't make this work. <laughs> um, well, also, he had to win the Rubber Man sponsorship. So he had to have the rubber hand, but I don't know. I, and I, I see what you're saying. And v Vanessa falling in love with Roy, we thought was kind of stupid, but uh, I mean, it's a, it's a goofy comedy. It's a goofy so comedy. I, I'm not, who cares? Um, I was going to say one of the funny things about the production of the movie I should have wanted to mention is someone who was part of the movie said that Bill Murray was a very good bowler. Like, like a lot of the scenes they use was him bowling, but Woody Harrelson, he said maybe got two strikes the entire production of the movie. Oh, really? So Woody Harrelson can't bowl. Exactly. <laughs> Bill Murray's a, an excellent golfer, too. Yeah. So Roger Ebert gave this movie three and a half out of four stars. And at the time for a rated R raunch comedy, that was very out of brand for him. So I remember it being a thing. But he had very high praise for the humor. And he said it had the rarest kind of laugh, the kind that comes from disbelief, mm. which I thought was a great quote. Yeah, because I I too remember watching it being I can't believe they just did that. You know what I mean? Like I can't believe they went there. And yeah, that, that there is something charming about the way they do that. And, you know, oftentimes I'll watch a a modern movie and I'll see really gross out stuff or something, and I'm not I'm never I'm never shocked anymore that they did that. I always nowadays I just think it's cheap. It's like oh they went there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't I don't have any admiration for it. But this was but those are usually like B movies or indies or something. We're talking about like an A list. Hollywood blockbuster with fucking Bill Murray, mm -hmm. you know, and Woody Harrelson. And they went there. Yeah, they did. And I think that was the shock factor at the time. Yeah. So Brennan, are you, Bill Murray's a good bowler. Are you a good bowler? I'm not bad. I can. What, what's your high? Do you, do you know your high? I, my high is like 225. Oh, that's really good. Um, but that was like, I, my senior year in high school, me and my buddies would go, like, and when I mentioned earlier, we'd practice, like do Ernie's bowl the way he did it like we we used to go bowling like a lot like every like a couple times a week and wow. so me and my friends got really really good and actually um 
my our, my friend Mike one night shot 275. Wow, um, that's really good. But best bowling score I ever had. But yeah, I can I can spin it. Like I can I can't put my thumb in the in the the third hole. I can only do the top two my two middle fingers and and to keep my thumb out. Exactly. Thank you, Adam. Um <laughs> I just gave him the lynch shape thing. Yeah. Have you but have you been to Amish country? Yeah, I have. So there's a there's an Amish community outside of um Springdale, Washington. Mm. And my family owns hunting land, like uh, just a little plot of land up north of Springdale, up in this place called Hunters. Um, and you have to drive through Springdale, through Amish, well, not through Amish, but through a bunch of country. And there happens to be an Amish farm or two along the way. Oh. And we used to stop there and get pies. Like, uh, Interesting. Apple, blueberry, rhubarb. And they were the best fucking pies you've ever had. They were delicious. But I remember going in there one time. And we get in there and it's not like a store. It's like somebody's house, you know, mm. you like go in the house and there was no lights and it was really dark in there. And I was like, why is it so dark? It's because like, they have electricity stupid. It was like 14 year old me. Why is it so dark? <laughs> and all I remember is they had like this weird, like teenage girl about my age, but she had these really big ears and she was like singing this creepy song acapella to herself in the mirror about waterfalls and it was so creepy it was like beginning of texas chainsaw massacre creepy where like you're like in this darkly lit old farmhouse and there's this weird looking girl singing some fucking weird song about waterfalls to herself in the mirror and it's like we're there to buy a pie you know well you know the amish they do things differently adam yeah uh, i guess so so um the movie Brennan said that you could cut some stuff out of this movie. I think you could. They they just went for joke after joke after joke after joke, and it goes on and on. It's it's a, an hour and fifty four minutes, which is quite long for a comedy. Um, it you know it probably would do well to get down to one forty five or so, but it's not. It's ten minutes longer than that. Yeah. It's only forty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, hmm. which seems it seems, it seems like people that don't appreciate comedy automatically downvote it. It also seems like people that are offended downvote it. Interesting. I I think it should be I mean it's it's well known as being a really a good comedy. So I the audience score is 69 um which I I take in consideration more often than the the tomato meter from the reviewers. The and I will say the the tomato meter for the from the reviewers only comes from 39 reviews. I I wonder what this movie would get now. But the good news is, Adam, we might be able to find out. No. <laughs> Apparently, this is it's in pre-production. There's no script, but the Farley brothers are working on a sequel to uh, Kingpin. So I... Ah, um, every other fucking podcast, Brennan drops these Hindenburgs on me. <laughs> like, hey, you know that great movie Love that should never be tarnished? Well, they're making a shitty cash grab sequel. I mean, you, did you watch the reboot, the first episode of the rebooted Animaniacs? I did. Do you remember the song they sing about rebooting things? It's it's so funny. And it's all about how Hollywood is. They don't care about anything. They're just going to reboot it and use you to watch it. And, and it, it's they're making fun of themselves because they're a reboot. Right. right. Yeah, I, 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 I don't remember. Start, like, In fact, can you just pull that jingle and play it for a little bit for this? Like. Sure. Seconds of it? Yeah. Renew it, reshoot it, redo it, and reuse it, retool it, abuse it, just do it. If you want to make some easy cash, just recycle and reboot it, reinstall it, 
reinstated, reheated, recreated. There's no need to feel frustrated. Simply just regurgitate it for a guaranteed rating smash. Pick it up out of the trash. Come on, just rebuild it. Um, so that's that's a big bummer, and I. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm just so sick of the reboots and the sequels that don't need to be like this movie doesn't need a fucking sequel. Where are you going to take it? Did Roy's hand grow back through through fetus surgeries? I don't know because like I mean now they're I mean I mean Woody Harrelson could play his character, but I don't know if you're not getting Randy Quaid. We're not getting Randy Quaid, but I also don't think you're. I don't think Bill Murray could do that role again. Like I just I don't, don't think Vanessa. You don't want well, Vanessa. I, 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 the movie only exists with. Woody Harrelson and Bill Murray. Like you could, you can cut Randy Quaid and Vanessa Angel out of this out of the sequel and make make it a totally different plot and call it Kingpin Two, um, and just use those same characters again. Because like this movie's only important with those two characters. Like it, it would have been funny if back in the '90s if they made a sequel like fairly quickly if it had been successful and it was just like a new story with Roy and he runs into Ernie McCracken again. It's like in different cast of characters, but they're the two consistent characters. Um, but we don't need it. We don't need it. So name one of these that you've liked where they've rebooted or renewed something using the same people, not a remake, but a sequel or a reboot where they, they tie in part of the original cast. Name I didn't one. I mean, I didn't, I, I enjoyed the the latest Ghostbusters Oh really? I thought it was, I thought it was a good movie for the, the introduced one with the ugly kid from Stranger Things. Yes, that that one, the Afterlife. Um, yeah, but I, I but it, I mean, it's it wasn't groundbreaking. Okay, but the, the but, female Ghostbusters suck. Yeah, sucks. we're not talking about that one. Um, well, we kind of are because it's the same thing. It's the same. Like we're gonna reboot it. There's a lot of reboots in today's world, and the fact that I'm and, and they're like and the fact that I can't average is like oh 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 six. Yeah, like, they're like they're like two for seven hundred all time. Yeah, and I so think what? the fact that I can't even come up with a a good That's reboot is the point. Yeah. Like I, I there's not many good reboots. Um, the one the one I I think is amazing is the Mad Max Fury Road, but it's such a complete yeah, new everything. Yeah. Like the only the only similarity is that it's a guy named Max and he's in a wasteland. Like everything else is new. But they use the same director, which I thought was really cool. They let this guy like live out his dream like I would, 30 years later with a huge budget. I could say that more of a revival than a reboot. Me too. So it doesn't really qualify, right? Yeah. Like what we're talking about? Like I can't think of any where I've been like, "Oh, I'm so glad they did that. I'm so glad Fuller House is around." <laughs> yeah, the, I feel like TV shows have been doing it a lot like and they all Who watches the Connors, by the way. Roseanne's not even on it. And who the I mean, fuck watches the Connors? And it still exists. It's still going. Like, it's in like its seventh season. I'm like, who is watching this? No one watches sitcoms anymore, though. So I, I don't know who's watching it. Like, well, somebody's watching it. Or they wouldn't keep renewing. Yeah, it. I know. They're, they're but I mean, obviously, it it's. I mean, it's going to streaming too. So I don't know. People watching it. I have no idea who these people are. If you watch the Connors. <laughs> Email us. You can email us at super90sbrothers at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at super90sbrothers, at SpokastPods with a K, adampitzler.com. We want to know why the hell you're watching The Connors or Fuller House or any of that stuff. Do you have a good remake? Tweet us about it and let us judge you for it. But at least we'll know you're listening and that makes us makes you cool in our book regardless of what you watch. Brendan, do you have anything else to say about Kingpin? I don't know. Uh, not really, but uh, go go support your local bowling alley. 
Yeah, support Lilac Lanes if you're in Spokane. That place gave a lot of good memories. They had dollar beer night when I was in college mm. on Tuesday nights. Me and my old roommates would go there. We'd play Metal Slug in the arcade. <laughs> and we'd we'd bowl and get drunk and talk shit, and it was great. Good fries, too. They had really good fries. I wonder if the fries are so I liked good. that little cafe off the yeah. side. They had these good like club sandwiches. Mm. Anyway, for Brennan Pointer, I am Adam J. Pitzler. This has been another bulldozing episode of Super 90s Bros, Kingpin Style. And remember, if you're ever short on rent, there are some generous landlords out there who will still accept alternate forms of payment. Peace? I said it's all about you and no one else I said don't you just want to love yourself Let me hear you sing it louder Don't you just want to love yourself I said it's all about you and no one else I said don't you just want to love yourself Let me hear you sing it louder Gonna do it like me This is a production of Spokast Production Studios located in Spokane, Washington. Our city, our stories. And a big thank you to Jinx Universe for letting us use his song, Like Me, from his latest album, Make It Look Good. Peace. <laughs>